Good morning and welcome to Chandler United Methodist Church. In the words of our founder, John Wesley, a Methodist is one who loves the Lord as God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. This morning, we welcome each of you, even non-Methodists, as we worship and try to move towards those lofty goals. We especially want to welcome you if you are a first-time visitor or an infrequent visitor, because we know you could have been many places this beautiful Sunday morning, and we're so glad you chose to spend it with us in worship. If you are a visitor, you may wish to read our To Our Guest narrative, which is found the first page of the bulletin, gives you some information about how we conduct our service, and hopefully makes you feel a little bit more welcome and included in that service. We hope that you will enjoy our service and come back and visit us again next week. Please take the time to read the bulletin announcements. This month, our mission focuses on two worthy organizations. First, the Dogs for Vets, American Service Animal Society, and the Hushabye Nursery. You'll be hearing more about both organizations shortly. We have our annual church conference on September 18th, and all are encouraged to attend. Next week, our Spirit Seekers Sunday School class resumes classes. Our Live in Faith Everyday Bible Study groups is currently meeting on Tuesday morning and open to all with no Bible knowledge required. Our CUMC Women of the Word group will be having a luncheon meeting on September 13th. Our Adult and Family Ministry group is having a classic pinball and arcade games night at the Starfighters Arcade on September 17th. Finally, and this is exciting, we are beginning a new youth group opportunity with the first activity game night on September the 10th. Details on these items are found in your bulletin, so please read about them and plan to participate. An item not in the bulletin, but important nonetheless, we are asking that you prayerfully consider where you can use your spiritual gifts and talents in the furtherance of our church mission of creating disciples who put God first by completing and returning the Where is God Calling You to Serve sheet that is found in the rear of the church. Bright green, can't miss it. Please feel free to submit any prayer requests to the church office. You will note a prayer request this week for Rich Timian in the bulletin this week. So welcome, and may you feel Christ's love this Sunday as you worship with us and go about your lives during the week. Good morning. Can we have the children please come forward for children's time? Hello. Hey, Max. How are you? Good morning. Hello. Doing good? Oh. Good morning. Welcome to worship. We're glad you're all here today. So, we are talking about today about overcoming things and challenges that we may have. So, school's been started for a while, right? So, as you're going through school, is there some new challenges you might be facing at school? Yeah, there is. You're maybe learning some new things. You're having to get along with new systems as you're working through. And it can be hard, can it? It can. I remember when I was your age, spelling was always hard. And then they'd have that Friday spelling test that I would always get stressed over. Yeah. And so that was always something I had to try to overcome. 
Well, you know what? God wants us to do the best we can, to learn as much as we can, because God has great plans for all of us. And one of the things he wants us to do is learn as much as you can in reading and writing and arithmetic, all that stuff, so that you can be that, that person that God wants you to be as you grow up. So when you're faced with troubles, remember that you've got to hope in God, because God is there to be with us. And that's where we get our hope. And so right here in this verse, it's got this soaring eagle right here. It says in the book of Isaiah, it says, but those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in God will have their strength renewed and they're going to soar like eagles and they're going to run and not grow weary and they're going to walk and not feel faint. So if you hope in the Lord when you're facing a trouble or a challenge or something new, you are going to soar. You're going to soar like eagles because God is there lifting you up. You're going to be able to run and complete that challenge or complete that activity you're doing because God is going to be with you to renew your strength. So that's what you need to do and remember. So I'm going to give you one of these. You can take it home, put it somewhere in your room. So if you're ever feeling a little stressed, you're feeling like you just can't do something, take a look at this. Remember this verse, how God wants you to soar like eagles, how he wants you to run and not grow weary, and then you can go to God in prayer and ask God to give you that strength because we hope in the Lord because the Lord loves us. And we know he's going to be there for each and every one of us. All right, so I'm going to give you one of these to take home. Thank you. You're welcome. There you go. Oh, I got to stretch. All right. We'll give one to mom, too. All right. Okay. You want one, too, huh? Hang up in the nursery, don't you? All right. So let's pray, okay? Dear God, help me to remember to hope in you because you will give me strength and help me soar like eagles. And all God's children said, Amen. All right, let's go to Sunday school, okay? All right. Hey, little buddy. <laughs> Please stand. God of grace and God of glory, on thy people pour thy power. Crown thine ancient church a story, bring her but to glorious flower. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the facing of the hour, for the facing of this hour. While the host of evil around us scorn thy Christ, assail his ways. Fear and doubt too long have bound us Free our hearts to work and praise. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of these days. For the living of these days. Cure thy children's warring madness, bend upright to thy control. Shame our wanton selfish gladness, wretched things and poor in soul.
Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, lest we miss thy kingdom soul, lest we miss thy kingdom's goal. Save us from weak resignation to the evils we deplore. Let the search for thy salvation be our glory evermore. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, serving thee whom we adore, serving thee whom we adore. Thank you, and please be seated. I'm Bonnie Britton, and I'm part of your missions committee. This month, the missions communion offering will go to the American Animal Society. This is for their Dogs for Vets program. The Dogs for Vet program was founded in 2005 to help veterans with service dog training, which is extremely expensive. This training program is in Gilbert, Arizona, and it is free to the veterans who are accepted into this program. You can find additional information in your bulletin, and this includes a URL to their website if you choose to look up additional information. Our second focus in September is for Hushabye Nursery. They provide compassionate, non-judgmental care to mothers, family members, and babies with neonatal abstinence syndrome. Yeah, that's a good one. It's called, we'll shorten that to NAS. Women who become pregnant while using opioids, whether prescribed or illegal use, bear children born with an opiate addiction. This requires a complex and painful detoxification process following the days of their birth. Hushabai Nursery provides prenatal and postpartum support groups inpatient nursery services, outpatient therapies, education, and counseling. There's additional information in your bulletin about this charity and specific needs that they have. Thank you. The ushers will come forward at this time for the reception of God's tithes and our offerings, and as they do, we will sing together. Do not fear to hope through the wicked rage and rise. God goods are not as we see. Success is not the prize. Do not fear to hope for through the night be long. The race shall not be to the swift, the fight not to the strong. to God when you are assured your sin is greater than grace look to God love is gift believe for you shall behold him face to face do 
not fear to hope from wicked rage and rise. Our God sees not as we see, success is not the prize. Do not fear to hope, for though the night be long, the race shall not be to the swift, the fight not to the strong. The gospel this morning is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. Please stand as you are comfortable and able. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the people said, Thanks be to God for the gift of Scripture. Thank you, and please be seated. It is a good day today. This is a good day to be in worship, and I want to say welcome to you. If, if this is your first time at Chandler United Methodist Church and you're in person for the first time, I am so glad you are here. It is so hard to, to try something new. If this is your first time online and you're here, it, it is so hard to try something new. Uh, we are we are a risk-taking church, and I don't know words to make it easier to try something new, except do it, do it. And if you think starting something new is hard, wait till you've been doing it for six weeks, and then you think, well, am I gonna get up and do this again? It's hard to continue, thing. that's even harder. So worship is not the easiest thing. We are in a series of sermons and we have been looking at, we've been talking about, we've been thinking, we're trying to figure out what the Apostle Paul means when he talks about each of us as a new creation of God. And what we have found is Paul wasn't just stomping in a puddle by saying that. He wasn't just throwing a nice word uh, that he hopes will, will sprout. He, he was reaching into a deep well and he's calling on not only what Jesus taught, but also he's pulling out of the Old Testament. And uh, we've been praying our way through the summer. Uh, uh, and, and we started this series about new creation because I thought it'd be a good way for us to talk about becoming, uh, a, what, what church we're becoming. Because we're always leaving something behind and we're always coming into something new. And, 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 and that's not an easy task. And it turns out that me having that agenda, I discovered was very inappropriate. And I discovered it because I consulted scripture. I listened to what Jesus had to say about prayer. And we've been looking at what prayer means. Prayer means exchanging proshu kamahi. It means exchanging what I want for what God wants. And coming at God with an agenda is never a good idea. 
Last week, we, we've been talking about praying, and, and we've been talking about some of the big words around praying, and we've been praying our way through the summer, and, and we've been talking about a single word that Jesus has used, makarios, we'll come back to that in a minute. But last week, we were looking at some other words, some other situations that Jesus used, makarios, we'll come back to that in a minute, what it means. We're looking at the Beatitudes. You remember the Beatitudes? Some of you memorize the Beatitudes. Blessed are the blessed are those who crouch and can't stand up. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what that is. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, those that 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 sermon given by Jesus. It's his first public sermon. Last week we walked through the first eight of those, and, and today we're going to do the final three of the times he uses makarios, but I, that's not where I want to start. I, I want to start with something that, uh, this was, I remember being in Sunday school and our Sunday school teacher talking to us, what adjectives do we use to describe Jesus? How, what, how do we know? Well, so we, as kids, we knew teacher. Jesus is teacher and, and guide and healer. And then I remember one kid in our class who was kind of a smarty pants. Uh, he raised his hand and said, Jesus is angry. And of course, the Sunday school leaders were just aghast at that. And this kid had happened to recall the time that Jesus went to the temple and drove out the money changers, the people who put in place a system by which they could abuse people over their religious needs. And, um, and uh, here's where I'm headed with that. If, if Jesus is angry at something, we in the church need to not be uncomfortable with that. that that's part of Jesus. We might want to figure out what Jesus is angry about. <laughs> that's always a good thing to do. Um, but, but here's where I'm headed with that. What adjectives do you use to describe God? We may not always think about what adjective we're coming at God through. An adjective modifies a noun. God can be a noun sometimes. Uh, what adjective do you use to modify it? Because that determines how we approach God. It determines how we use Scripture. If, if uh, it, it's a lens through which we, we come at God. How, how do we come at God? If we see God as angry, all, an angry God in an angry heaven, and you're barely lucky if you get in, and, and uh, then we're trying to deal with an angry God all the time. And, and it's similar to living with an angry person. You're, you're always stepping on eggshells. It shapes all pieces of your existence. Whatever adjective we use to describe God shapes our perception. And, and, and here's what's at stake. Jesus tells a parable. It's called the parable of the talents. You know the parable of talents? One servant is given ten talents. The next servant is given five talents, and then the last servant is given one talent, and the one with ten, while the master is away, multiplies that, does business, uh, uh, multiply, doubles it. Same story with the one who's given five. The, the one who's only given one 
When the master returns and wants an accounting, this guy brings his one talent and says, well, I was scared of you because you're a hard man. You're angry too much. It frightens me. And the master says, oh, you want to mischaracterize me as an excuse for not doing what you were instructed to do. You want to use anger, my anger, about lack of faithfulness to, uh, against me, to not do. Here's where I'm headed. Be careful about mischaracterizing God. Uh, uh, and letting that be the only way that you see God. And I guess I better say it on the other end. If you see God as a loving and caring God, be careful if that's the only way that you see God. We might want to figure out what it is that causes God to be angry when God is angry. And we might want to figure out what is God's nature here? Uh, Is God capable of all the feelings on the spectrum? And and I am am headed toward a point with this. It it causes us, this should cause us to ponder and, and maybe decide it's inappropriate to approach reading scripture through God's anger only. And we have a cultural religion in our nation that has taught us that God is just so angry about human sin. Human sin is the problem for God and the purpose of Jesus is to resolve human sin. Sinful has become the adjective through which our cultural religion approaches God. Human sin, my sin, I have the, the power to control God by being sinful enough. That's, that, that's to be cautioned against. Sinful becomes the adjective used to describe humanity. Maybe that's inappropriate and and maybe we should ask Jesus and what's interesting is if we listen to Jesus he does talk about sin but when he talks about sin almost every time it's one of two one of two very specific sins concern Jesus seems to be almost all he talks about the first one is the decision to redeclare and diminish the worth of someone else in an attempt to get control of them. In, and redeclare oneself as, well, at least I'm not that. I'm better than that. I'm higher on the ladder. I'm closer to God. God did not impose a hierarchy like that for us, but we impose that hierarchy. It's terribly inappropriate, and Jesus regards it as a sin. And if you want to know, you might be saying, well, give me an example. Read the Pharisees. Watch the Pharisees. It's exactly what they do, all of them. Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, the zealots, all of them. This is the game that they play, and Jesus comes after them hard. The the, the, second, the second way of sin that Jesus uh, is, is against almost exclusively is the decision made to regard another person as beyond God's reach. Now, the Holy Spirit can't even reach that guy. Jesus calls that the unforgivable sin. 
We have to call, call these things to mind. We have to hold on to them because they're so common. Uh, uh, the point I'm steering toward is this notion that God has declared humanity as sinful and we are far away from God because our sin has put a gap between us and God and human sin is the primary problem. It's incorrect. It's not appropriate to, to scripture. And so now we have to wonder, well, how has God classified us? If our cultural religion is misleading us in telling us that, what, how has God classified us? And so we're going to go talk to Jesus today. Uh, uh, and we've been looking, we started last week at how God has characterized us, makarios. What Jesus said about how God sees us. And, and we're getting a very clear image of that. And we're also getting a very clear image of how being clear on how God sees us can bring peace to each of us. And, and we've been talking about Jesus in his first public sermon. And, and this is the time when we would expect that Jesus would really let loose on what is frustrating him. <laughs> he does. This is the time, Jesus stands up to preach his first sermon. This is the time when we would expect Jesus to let everyone who would hear know what is bothering him. <laughs> he does. Uh, this is the time in his first public sermon when we would expect Jesus to illuminate for us very clearly the correct way to see God, the correct way to understand how God sees us. <laughs> he does. All three of these. He does. Jesus begins his sermon with an adjective. A descriptive word to modify a noun, us. It's a word to clarify how God sees us. It's a word to establish God's relationship with us. Jesus begins with this word, makarios. And he uses it 11 times in nine sentences. Each time is followed by a very specific example of ways and times the world and our life, our existence, seems to challenge makarios, God's love, God's grasp, God's conferring of approval on us. The world seems to be want to bend us and crush us and exhaust us and break us and grieve us and keep us focused on jumping through hoops, meeting the expectations of the world in hopes of being good enough, someday knowing we're never going to be good enough for the world. And Jesus met each and every one of these ways the world comes at us with a single word, makarios. He's recalling that moment when we have come into the presence of God and God looks on us and 
unexpectedly every time. We always seem to get distracted by the world and start believing what the world says about us and we're broken and we're barely breathing. And God looks on us again and confers approval. And we are filled with a sense of worth and it causes us to gasp in surprise because we had been pretty sure we were worthless. And we start breathing again and we stand upright before our King, our God. When we are restored in our peace of mind, and after a moment we head back into the world as a representative of our King, Makarios. Last week we talked about the first eight times, that, that assortment of challenges which the world comes at us with to distract and redefine us, and poor in spirit and mourning and, and so forth. All very common aspects of life. And eight times Jesus responds, redeclares that adjective, makadios, redefines our modifier, how God modifies this noun, makadios. From the first word forward through the sermon, the fight is who gets to define you? And Jesus is saying God does, and God has, and it's non-negotiable. And right after the Beatitudes, one of the first things Jesus says, talks about, he makes a joke about salt. Remember the joke about salt? You are salt. And salt that is not salty gets thrown out and trampled on. Jesus knew, as you and I both know, salt can't be made unsalty. It's chemically impossible to dilute salt. Hmm? Can't happen. Salt doesn't change. N-A-C-L, unbreakable. Uh, salt is solid. Well, Jesus' point is, everything that I've told you about how God sees you, makarios, God's approval of you, God's love, it's as unshakable, as unchangeable as salt. Can't be changed. But before we get to salt, Jesus offers three additional examples three more times, we've done the eight, three more times when it feels like the powers of the world have turned their attention to us, called us by name, pointed a finger, and started moving in our direction in their aggression to come get us. The world is full of constantly critical systems and people. And in our text today, Jesus is talking about people who insult, and the Greek word is onido. I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. Onidizo, that's how you say it. Onidizo, insult. And then, then he says, uh, persecute, dioko, and speak falsely about you, uh, pseudomahi. And, and it's important that we see these three together. The, these are not separate ideas that Jesus just clumps together in a sentence. Uh, remember, Jesus has already said in the, in the eighth beatitude, blessed are those persecuted because of righteousness, because of time spent with me. Persecuted has already been on the table as an individual word. This is not what's happening again. Jesus is not repeating himself. 
These are not three words that we should look at separately. Insult, persecute, and speak falsely. Onai did so, Dioko, and Sudamahi. Insult, persecute, speak falsely are a progression of actions. Three steps taken trying to get somewhere. It's a move in the Greek language. Let me tell you about it. The first step, the, the first decision that gets made, a person decides to insult some, a person decides, I am so, they have faults. I am so frustrated with them, I am going to try to gain by speaking about their faults, their brokenness, their inabilities, their screw-ups, their mi- all that stuff. It's insult. And it's real at first, sort of and very quickly moves to be imagined and magnified. Heck, if I'm putting you down, I don't need reality. What I need is a big mouth and just start talking. And I come after you. And I, We gain by pointing out someone else's inabilities, failings, faults, etc. And then we magnify them. That's insult. It leads to a second decision and that is to persecute. The the decision becomes to harass, which means you show up a second day and you come after, and a third time and you come after. It becomes a daily thing. You pursue and you badger and you dominate this person and you repeatedly attack this same person. That's persecute. And then the third thing, the. The exaggeration isn't quite enough, and so you move into the decision to just start making up stuff and attaching it to this person to try to make them look as bad as you possibly can. And you choose the worst words, and as I said, who needs reality? The decision to utter false accusations, to paint this person as awful, terrible, and just plain bad. And these Progressive steps are taken in an attempt to redeclare that another person is not worthy. They're not valued. They're not lovable anymore. We're barely tolerating them. They're worthless. They're useless. They're pathetic. They should be taken outside the city walls and burned with the garbage. Jesus is describing a three-step process, a a three-step descent into another adjective. It's been translated as evil, and that is the correct translation, and the word is poneros. And as I said, it's an adjective, it's a modifier. And Jesus is describing a three-step process by which any person by doing these three things, making these three decisions, calling it good, attempting to redefine someone else as less, successfully redefines themselves, successfully modifies themselves, changes their modifier to evil in the eyes of God. 
insulting, persecuting, and speaking falsely about another of God's creations has no effect in modifying anybody else. It modifies the person doing the speaking. It replaces makarios with poneros. Accepted and valued become evil. And I am sure that your mind is running right now, recognizing all of the ways, <laughs> because all of us are familiar with these three steps. If we haven't done it, or if we're not doing it now, we have done it and stopped ourselves. And how common it is in our culture, how, how these three ways of going after somebody else, trying to gain an upper hand by talking others down, pursuing and harassing and dogging them, accusing and embellishing and exaggerating and lying. How common this is, how accepted this is, that the goal of diminishing that other person, how tempting these are to engage in, how easy it is to walk in the way that leads to evil. The name of the sermon today comes out of that feeling of what happens in us when we are the recipient of insult, persecution, and lying. When we are the recipient of such an attack, what happens we burn up. We, our, our brain will not shut down. We keep trying to come up with a block or a, a word to come back and dominate again. And, and we plan what we're going to say and we engage and, and we think we're going to hit them with a bigger criticism and a stronger attack and a louder lie. We're trying to diminish our attacker back into the hole they crawled out of, trying to silence them forever, trying to eternally reclassify them as a loser. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you about him. Such an easy path to follow, just three little steps. Right into redefining ourselves. Doing what our attacker could never get done in trying to fight back in the same way, those three steps, one, two, three, we redefine ourselves as evil. Poneros. And you can check Matthew 5, 11, 12 verses, but I don't recall Jesus ever saying, well, if they did it to you, then it's okay to do it back to them. In fact, speaking of Sunday school, I think I remember a golden rule, without exception, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You remember that? Jesus does offer a response. Not difficult to see. We didn't read it, but you can. 11 and 12 are the verses, and you just keep reading from there. Jesus says, pray for them, bless them, do good to them. 
And we know what pray means. Proshukamahi. It means interact with God and switch out my way and what I want for God's way and what God wants. This is Makarios, where we put down before our king all of the ways that we've tried to interact with the world that didn't work and left us exhausted and beaten and broken. Our wins and losses, our lists of all the stuff that we've tried to accomplish and we didn't, and, and the put-downs that we've prepared and we rolled them out, and, yeah, all of that becomes fodder when the king looks on us and approves us again. Our king looks on us and says, oh, yes, I remember who you are. And just those words cause us to go, oh. And suddenly we remember, we say to ourselves, oh, yeah, I remember who I am, too. And all of that getting ahead and all of that trying to be better than somebody else and all of that measuring my worth compared to people around me and, and every mask that we've ever put on trying to make a good impression, all of that falls away. Our value and our worth declared by God become the most important aspect of our life. It's a life-changing moment. And when we pray for someone else, that's what we're hoping for them. Because someone else putting us down doesn't change us in God's eyes. If we become connected to that, it can also not change us in our eyes. And when we pray for someone else, we're praying that they will have a makarios moment as well. They will respond to God's invitation into that inner sanctum. And that they push you kamahi, exchanging my way of classifying for God's way of classifying. We pray that for others. And then the second thing Jesus says is bless them. The word here is eulogio. It's what we do at funerals. We recall all of the ways that we see God in this person. Eulogio, though, is a little different because it means you start speaking to that person when they're alive and standing in front of you. So when someone has come at you with attack and insult and persecution and telling lies, you come back at them and you tell them how you see God in them how you recognize that they are a creation of God first and foremost. That's, that's our response. Uh, bravely, and this is peacemaking. You, you see that? We talked about peacemaking last week. This is peacemaking. Bravely speaking what God has already said about somebody to their face. It restores a, a right mind. And then the third thing that Jesus says to do in the face of an attack is do good to them. Poie Colosse. It means continue to be honorable people. It, it means act upright. It means be steadfastly secure in your identity, unshakably solid upon what rock you're standing on. 
whose way you follow. And, and I don't know if you see this, but Jesus has just offered a three-step alternative to the descent into evil. Jesus offered a three steps of how we affirm and assert that we are God's creation. Oh, you're trying to tell me that I am not God's creation and you come at me with an attack. Well, I'm gonna tell you by praying for you and speaking about how God is in you and, and by doing good and being solid and upright in front of you, I'm going to assert that I'm a creation of God. And I'm going to demonstrate that in this way. I'm going to live out God's way. I'm going to pray. I'm going to bless. I'm going to do good. Jesus says this is the difficult path, narrow. It's found by very few and walked not very often. Jesus started with an adjective and he ends this portion of the sermon with one as well. It's like bookends. He started with makarios. The, the last sentence of this section of Jesus' sermon has been translated, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The last word of Matthew 5 is perfect, which Thankfully, the church folk have gotten a hold of this. <laughs> you know the uptight church people? Church folk have gotten a hold of this and seen it as another opportunity to say, that's right, straighten up, fly right, get your act together, be perfect like God. Just one problem. The Greek doesn't mean what we think it means. Oh, imagine that. Huh. In the Greek, the word we've translated as perfect, in the Greek is teleos. Teleos is an adjective. It modifies a noun. Teleos means completed. It doesn't mean without flaw. It means completed, lacking nothing. What Jesus is saying in that final sentence, which we translated as be perfect as your heavenly Father in, is perfect, what Jesus is saying is be completed as your heavenly Father completes you. The Apostle Paul will say it this way in the letter to the church at Philippi. This is chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I am confident that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Jesus began with makarios, a redeclaration that it is God who creates us and knows us and values us and sustains us and restores us and loves us. Jesus ends with teleos, a declaration that it is God who completes us to God's satisfaction. 
Paul said it this way, you are God's accomplishment. Please stand as you're comfortable and able and join me in a statement of faith. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope in life, in death, in life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him and earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be obedient people. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience to Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, and please be seated. I want to say to you, if you are uh, joining us online, uh, communion does not have to be special bread that, that is provided by your church. Uh, it can be anything. Jesus offered bread to his disciples because it was handy. It was there. And so he offered it to them. So whatever you have is fine. Uh, uh, Cheez-Its, uh, wheat thins, wheat bread, uh, 12 grain, M&Ms, it's fine. Uh, can all become the body of Christ. That's not, and then the same is true for grape juice. We use grape juice in the church. Uh, some churches use wine, but uh, you can use whatever you have that works for you. Uh, water is fine. Uh, and I'm going to usurp our process today. So uh, um, uh, sometimes we come into communion and we're dragging ourselves and we, we get about halfway and we need to sit for an hour just to catch our breath. And there's other times when we come to the table of the Lord and we're anxious. We're, we're rushing to the table to, because we've been here before and we know what's going to happen. And Jesus receives everyone at the table, including the one who will betray him, the two who will betray him. He, he feeds them, too. He blesses them, too. We come to the table. We, we know what our week has been. We know what our month has been. We know what our year. We know what life has been. We, we come to the table, and it's an urgency. It, it's, we, we're hungry. We're thirsty. No, no, it's not. A, no, we're starving when we come. And so today, I, I want to do communion a little different. Uh, if, go ahead and... and and open it with, with some breathlessness and some urgency and, and get out the bread and hold it. And don't hold it. Just eat it. I'm hungry. I came into the presence of God with a need in my heart. And 
I'm going to trust that God knows what I need before I speak. <laughs> That's what Paul said too. The Holy Spirit interprets the longings and groanings of our heart to the ears of God. Well, we came hungry and we also came thirsty. We've been running through life and we've been moving too fast. And breathless doesn't quite even begin to describe our experience. Our mouth is dry, our throat is parched. Please. And I don't know about you, but that hit my palate and rolled down my throat and it was soothing and calming and I found myself taking a deep breath and and then standing up straight. God knows what we need before we speak. The Holy Spirit interprets the groanings of our hearts. Coming to the table satiates and quenches what we need. And we say, thanks be to God. Amen. follow and dare to imitate in the person of Jesus go before you to show you the way behind you to nudge you forward when you're so scared you can't move. Above you to watch over you, beside you to be sometimes the only friend you've got in this world and within you to give you peace. Go always in the peace of Christ. Amen. When we are living, it is in Christ Jesus us, 
And when we're dying, it is in the Lord. For then our living and in our dying, we belong to God. We belong to God.